Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast the combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the European of the podcast, and I'm joined by the super of the podcast, Tom Alderson, and finally, the league of the podcast. Well, that was fun while it lasted. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm all all the better for sweeping all of that under the, under the rug, because um, it was just bonkers wasn't it it was just a crazy attack of news for two or three days and now it's just completely over it just sort of feels a bit pointless really <laughs> no doubt they listened to the last episode and the strong words that both you and uh, tom woodhead had to say about it so yeah you can s- see all stats aren't we doing their little part towards the big fight tom alderson how are you doing yeah i'm good thanks i'm um the, the, the super league news kind of made me feel a bit flat watching the liverpool game um because like we scored, and I was like, "Well, it doesn't matter anyway." So, uh, so it's it's nice that we're like now now that it's all gone after two whole days of stress that we can actually enjoy, well, try and enjoy the Man United game at the weekend as much as possible. And the Man United game is what we are here to talk about. We do have a news section in our running order, which is empty, and I can't think of anything to fill it with. So, it seems logical for us to just go straight to the Manchester United preview. So this week I was lucky enough to speak to Aaron Meniz, who's a Manchester United fan, and this is what he had to say about Manchester United. So Aaron, hi, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. How are you, John? Yeah, I'm doing really well. It's uh, been a very fun few days, hasn't it, in in the world of football? Obviously, as a, as a Manchester United fan yourself, you'll have been following a lot of this stuff, no doubt, with interest. Let's begin then by talking about, well, we don't need to talk about the European Super League because I think it's really been done to death. I think this is probably one of the few issues that fans are, are pretty united on. What I'm interested in from you is actually your take on the Ed Woodward resignation. How important do you think that is going to be for the club in the long run? Because I think there's a lot of people who are of the opinion that, that Woodward has held the club back in certain ways. So is that a silver lining to come out of this for Manchester United? I think in general, a lot of United fans are happy about Woodward leaving. And 
I would say for the most part, most United fans I know are happy, and I myself think it's it's positive. Um, but there's a few kind of caveats there. So I'll I'll say that I think the two main reasons why people are happy are uh, one, United haven't performed since Woodward's been um, in his position. It's been seven years. Uh, pretty much started when Ferguson retired, and in that time, United have won three trophies: one Europa League, one FA Cup, one League Cup, which is not the types of trophies or the quantity of trophies that United fans tend to expect, uh, even in a period of transition. And in that time, he's overseen the team miss Champions League football three times, uh, miss top four four times. And Woodward has also um, overseen some really bad transfer windows. Uh, for some examples, under Solskjaer, uh, Andrew Herrera and Romelu Lukaku were allowed to leave for free. And United didn't sign a midfielder uh, in that in kind of Herrera's mold until they, and also still didn't sign a striker other than Edinson Cavani, who's not a long-term solution as good as he still is. Um, and in that, in the midst of that time, United have also needed a right needed a right winger and haven't gotten that. So there's a lot of discontent about how he's dealing with transfer windows, how he's dealing with the club, and it's clearly showing itself in the results. Um, where I'd say. Uh, the kind of caveat is is that Woodward's never really been a football guy, and I think that's where people associate him with the Blazers. They're not really football people. Woodward was uh, a chartered accountant for United before he got this role, and he has a background in physics, so he's not really a kind of United character. Uh, what people want, people have this vision of kind of a CEO in the mold of someone like Edwin van der Sar, um, and that's not what he is, but it's it's easy for Woodward to go and nothing to really change. It really depends on what's above him, right? And now I think the Blazers' future at the club is unclear. And whether they move or not will be a big factor in what really happens with United next. Because if the Glazers stay, they can very easily hire, you know, Ted Wardwood, who does the exact the exact same thing as Ed Woodward. And it makes no difference to anyone whatsoever. It's just a different person doing the same thing. And now there's also two directors in the mix. The United have hired two, a technical director and a director of football recently. And uh, those two figures will kind of, it's interesting to see. We haven't really seen yet how they're going to change the shape of United's footballing structure. Um, whether someone like Woodward is now going to be more of just a finance person or his re replacement is just going to be a finance, marketing, commercial person. Um so it really remains unclear. I think Woodward's failed, and ultimately the fact that he's leaving is reflected that he's failed at his job. But it's interesting to see where it goes next. It's been quite a funny year in general for Manchester United, looking back over it. Um, obviously, a lot of fans will be happy that you're second in the league, uh, but there is that big gap between the two Manchester clubs. There is a chance of a Europa, Europa League again, um, but it feels as though the lack of consistency um, to, to be a really good side has sort of haunted them for, for a number of seasons now. And in fact, there's a weird shades of tenure, uh, sorry, there's weird shades of Mourinho's tenure here as well, where, you know, he finished second in the league behind Manchester City and, <clears throat> and they had that Europa League win there as well. How do you explain this weird phenomenon of being sort of okay? It comes from a mix of a variety of factors. So I think firstly, uh, as with everyone, the pandemic plays a part. Uh, United did a deep run in the Europa League last year and then went and had three weeks off and no preseason and started the Premier League, which if you watch the first three games United had, uh, they lost to Palace, they beat Brighton, but in some ridiculous circumstances, they should not have won that game. And then they lost 6-1 to Spurs, which even though they had 10 men, they were 
they were really bad. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious to say the pandemic has played a part, so that, that's going to affect our kind of judgment based on what we've seen on anything that happens and anything we look at. Um, but the other two factors are, in general, what I'm seeing is that United are over-reliant on individuals to kind of define their, their tactical outlook, and they're over-reliant on the opposition to give them opportunities to win matches. So starting with the personnel, whenever, uh, if you look at the games in which United have imploded, uh, you know, the Leicester game in the FA Cup recently, RB Leipzig in the Champions League, uh, when United had the chance to go through, and Bashakcha here in the Champions League, that game with the famous image of the defending, um, all of the commonality between those has been that the main first team Solskjaer tends to go with now when everyone's available and fully fit, was not available. So in the Leicester game, for example, uh, Nemanja Matic was playing in midfield instead of Scott McTominay. And I think Rashford and Bruno both didn't play. Um, in the, the Shak Shahir game, you know, there was no there's no Fred, who I believe is really important. Um, and regardless, what happens when you change the personnel is that the the aspects of those kind of players and what they bring to the game aren't replicated. So when Bruno is taken out of the team and Van de Beek is put in. Van de Beek's a good player, but he has very different tendencies to Bruno, and there are no other changes around in the rest of the team to compensate for that kind of sacrifice of ball progression and uh, on-ball creative output in exchange for someone who's going to make runs off the ball and has have people try to find him. Um, and the second problem is opposition reliance, right? So uh, when teams give United space behind, you know, they attack United, they try to counter-press. United can play through that and be extremely dangerous in the transition of the counter, as everyone as everyone knows. But if you kind of sit back and you go, here, here's our setup, break us down, win the game, that's where it gets really difficult. So against Burnley this weekend, you saw uh, Fred got hooked at halftime for, uh, for Cavani because the basic United shape just couldn't break Burnley down. And there's kind of a lack of, I would say, attacking patterns, and uh, there's a lack of rotation, so there's not always players occupying every position, which, when you don't spread out the pitch, it makes it easier for the opposition. And there's often even a lack of awareness of, uh, of counters and what the opposition can do if you overcommit an attack. Um, and that's also brought upon by the fact that United need to kind of be adventurous to break down teams, but it, it becomes a problem when you kind of can't break down teams unless they let you, and you can't... Uh, play without your main players available. So with all that in mind, how do you feel about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at this point? Yeah, that's a tough one, you know, because I, I, long term, I really don't know. It's hard to see Solskjaer kind of building this setup that dominates European football and wins the league. But if you look at his results to date, they're, they're pretty good. I mean, last year, United finished third and made three cup semifinals with a, with a squad that was, at least in the first half of the season, awful. There was no Bruno, Paul Pogba was injured. Rashford and Martial missed a lot of time. And if you take those four out of United squad from last year, it's the outlook is quite bleak. So for Solskjaer to come through that and get third is amazing. And then in the pandemic, United were clearly hit really hard. United didn't get the signings they needed. And once again, he came in and, and kind of steadied the ship, got results back on track, got United into the even into the title race in early December. A lot of people were saying that before City's kind of funny match winning run. United had a chance of winning the league. So I think that's pretty amazing. Um, but for the tactical reasons I've just spoken about, I, I think it's really difficult to see United winning the league under Solskjaer. So I understand why people believe he needs to be given more time and better players. And I sympathize with that view. But I also sympathize with the view of the people who say, 
you can't really afford to waste the prime years of some amazing players United now have at their disposal. And and Solskjaer will, will hold that back if he stays on for too long. So what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for the rest of the season for United? I know there's not much left in the season now, but how do you see that going? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit dead rubber. I don't really see top four falling off too much. I think um, I, I think it's pretty much, fingers crossed, I think it's pretty much done. Um, United are 10 points clear now, a fifth, I think. Uh, so it, it shouldn't, United shouldn't implode from that. So I think the focus will be on the Europa League. Um, the goal will be to keep players fit and just keep firing. I think Solskjaer said that he wants the players to fight for the title until it's mathematically over, which is good, but also the squad's played a long season and, and could falter. So uh, I hope it's balanced well and they continue to do well in the Premier League and then uh, also maintain the energy and stamina to get through that tough Europa League tie against Roma and, uh, and hopefully the final because they need a trophy. Well, let's talk about the last game between these two sides. What did you make of the game between Leeds and, and Manchester United earlier in the season? I think it was one of my favourite games of the season. Probably not yours. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say game state was a huge factor in this game. I wouldn't say it's a great game upon which you would analyse what's going to happen in this game because uh, Scott McTominay scored the fastest brace in Premier League history to open the game. He scored the first minute and the second minute. So it's it's hard to say that the game would have gone the same way if those goals didn't go in. I think if you look at Leeds um, as a team and you look at United as a team, what tends to happen is if United score first and if United get a cushion of two goals, they can kind of just sit back and and let Leeds try and fight back. And you guys were a bit vulnerable um, in, in defensive transitions. I think maybe a little bit better now, but back then you guys were kind of just letting United just run through you, which when you do that, it's um, it, it it makes it a lot easier for United, and uh, with with that goal lead and and that kind of weakness, I think it's hard to judge that game. Um, the other thing I'll say is, if there was any team, I, I think Leeds are the only newly promoted team I've ever seen United play where they were up four one, and I was thinking, is a comeback on? Because you guys have so much attacking threat constantly, and you're one of the best attacking teams in the league, which is pretty incredible considering the squad. Elsa has and uh, what he's doing it is with it is pretty amazing so I wouldn't be surprised to see some amazing stuff from from you guys on Sunday um, it, it becomes it becomes difficult to judge when you have such a such an amazing manager and Solskjaer being a bit less predictable than Bielsa but still having that uh, still having that game plan that really depends on either scoring early or or needs leading space with that in mind do you think we'll see anything different tactically from Solskjaer on Sunday, yeah, I'm not. I'm not expecting it. I think usually it, the fact that McTominay scored twice in that game and, and played pretty well means that Solskjaer will probably go with him again. Uh, United have had a full week of rest, no European game this week, no cup game this week, and they have another five days before the Europa semi-final. So I think I'm expecting mostly a first team. Um, I think Dan James started that game, and um, in the case of Dan James, I would expect Paul Pogba to take his place on the wing now. Um, it's become pretty commonplace that Pogba's playing left wing. And the trade-offs there tactically become pretty obvious. I think Paul Pogba's an, an incredible on-ball creator. He's uh, he's going to be extremely progressive. He's going to look to get on the ball. Um, he's going to Sometimes he makes late runs into the box from left wing. Um, but in general, I would say Dan James is more of an off-ball intensity kind of player. Adds to United's pressing game. 
uh, helps them win the ball in good situations, makes life difficult for the opposition um, on the ball as opposed to makes life for the opposition difficult with the ball. Would you say that in general Manchester United's tactics have changed much this season or has it been very much sort of incremental stuff from Solskjaer? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're looking at the kind of broad tactical idea, it, it really changes a lot based on the, the personnel. And the biggest personnel change has kind of been, I would say, uh, replacing the Matic and Pogba double pivot with the Fred and McTominay double pivot, which was mostly playing before uh, the lockdown. So Fred and McTominay bring a lot of on-ball intensity, um, off-ball intensity, sorry, and they contribute a lot to United's um, kind of counter transitions, uh, pressing game. Whereas Matic and Pogba brought that like passing verticality and uh, they slowed the tempo and really dominated United running 60% possession. Um, and that, that setup was kind of made redundant because what we slowly realized was that if you got to hit Pogba and Matic on transition, they would fold. Um, you could kind of, Pogba is a good ball progressor, but he's not a, he's not just a ball progressor. And that disciplined role doesn't suit him as well as a role where he can have more freedom. And on top of that, Martial and Greenwood were on a huge finishing streak, which is why United had all those like extremely high scoring games where they kind of, that famous run where they beat Villa 3-0 and Brighton 3-0 and Bournemouth 5-2 and just blazed through uh, basically half of the bottom half of the league. So that kind of change was forced. And I expect that United will kind of continue to change as other teams find out how to beat their different setups. and. That's where you kind of worry long term. It's not really like a Klopp or Pep setup where they're going to keep it the same and just roll over teams without really having to particularly play well. Um, but it's just the nature of, of Solskjaer's team and, and what he kind of does. So it comes as expected at this point that things just keep on sort of changing in small increments. Looking through the, the formations that have been used, it does seem as though you've settled into the four-two-three-one recently i think that there has been tweaks here and there occasionally but for the long the, the longest part of the last few months it seems as though you've just s- stuck with the 4231 how do you feel about this formation and the players as they fit in it yeah i think it brings it the best out of uh brings the best out of most players um i would imagine fred plays best in a double pivot and right now he's united's only kind of defensive midfielder of of requisite quality so getting the best out of him matters Getting Bruno Fernandes into the core of the team is super important because he drives pretty much everything that happens. He drives the ball progression, the creativity, a lot of the goal scoring. Um, so having him in his best position is is always going to be beneficial. And when you strike upon that kind of player, you don't really want to change the setup and risk kind of breaking that momentum. Um, the one player where you can kind of argue that it doesn't really suit is is Pogba because he can't really play in the double pivot or the midfield three is quite disciplined in United's four two three one, so it's it's hard to kind of really play in any of those positions for Pogba. But um, I, I'm sure we'll talk about later the fact that he's kind of found a new role in this team and a new a new importance in a different position. Um, and in general, I would say a lot of teams in Europe are moving towards four two three one at the Champions League level. It's become an issue of one defensive midfielder doesn't really do enough and attacking fullbacks have become super popular, so not many people are using inverted fullbacks, which by extension means you're going to need a second defensive midfielder to help cover all that space that is left for one player. And uh, 
it it makes sense for teams to adopt that approach. Uh, for example, it's just really difficult to find that kind of Fernandinho type player who does everything that you need in a midfielder and also covers insurmountable insurmountable amounts of space. Um, so it just makes sense to be playing in a four two three one. I think for United at this point with with the personnel and also moving forward. Yeah, you've mentioned Bruno Fernandes there, um, and it's clear, I think, for all fans to see why he's such an important player for, for, for Manchester United. And you can see why that team structure might be set up so that you can get the best out of him. But as you've mentioned, Paul Pogba um, doesn't really fit in and so he sort of gets pushed out towards the to the wide areas. Um, how important do you think Pogba's return has been? Because he obviously came uh, in, in, into the game against, I think it was AC Milan, wasn't it, in the Europa League and, and got the goal pretty much as soon as he came on and that, that got them through that tie. Um, how important do you think Pogba has been actually in the recent run for United? He is so, so good at this sport. Like I, that's the top and bottom of it, right? He's, he is brilliant. He, he's an amazing receiver of the ball. He's extremely progressive. He's extremely creative. Um, pretty much anything you want a player to be able to do on the ball, Paul Pogba can do it. And he's one of the best players in the world at doing it. And, um, he's he's he really just brings so much dynamism to United's side. Fernandez becomes the kind of primary creator, but often a lot of the work Fernandez does is to help United meet expectations, not really necessarily get it over the line. And playing in that left wing role has really, in my opinion, brought the best out of Pogba as long as United can get him on the ball. Because um, if you have him in that in that kind of realish mold uh, for Villa, he has that level of creative freedom. He can receive from long. He can get into the box and be a threat, but he's also just so, so, so good when the ball's at his feet, coming inside. He contributes defensively. Um, in that Spurs game recently, the 3-1, and I think in Aston Villa, uh, the Aston Villa game in January, one thing I saw in common was just he completely took control of the game, dropping deep to get on the ball, making defensive interventions, um, hitting long balls up the pitch that we're hitting like 50, 60 yard balls that were hitting people into feet, um, you know, getting into the box, amazing creative interventions. He just brings everything in at such a high level that if you can find a way to get him in the side and get him on the ball and limit his discipline, um, everything he does becomes an asset and becomes an extreme addition to any team. Yeah, no, totally agree on Pogba. Even as it pains me as a Leeds United fan to say, I always enjoy watching him play because, as you say, he, he is just elite in so many ways on the ball um, that it's just a joy for any football fan to watch, really. But Right, let's move to talk about the actual game itself on, on Sunday. So how are you looking injury-wise at the moment? I could be wrong, but I think United's only absentee is uh, Anthony Martial. Uh, I Marcus Rashford has been touch and go for kind of the entire season. He's had a, a few ongoing injuries. It's, it's actually become like kind of almost a meme among United fans of like, when is this guy going to get to rest? He's, you know, political reform and football um, twice a week. So, yeah, I think I think there's a chance they rest Rashford for Greenwood. Um, other than that, Martial will probably rest for Cavani. Um, there's a chance you'll see Rashford out wide and Greenwood up front. but. Most of the first-team players should be available for this game, and nobody was subbed off with any injuries against Spurs except for, like I said, Rashford. So um, I, I don't see any huge fitness issues uh, incoming other than Martial. And so what do you expect the lineup to be on Sunday then? Henderson and goal is kind of a guarantee now. Um, 
Back four stays the same. Wambasaka, uh, Lindelof, Maguire, Luke Shaw. Shaw's been amazing this season. Maguire's been amazing this season. Sometimes Lindelof switched up for Bayi. I don't think this is the type of game where that happens. And last time it happened, United were pretty poor at the back and distributing the ball out of the back. So I think there's now this new level of reservation towards using Bayi. Um, Brandon McTominay in midfield. Pogba, Fernandez, and I'm going to guess Rashford because he always plays. Uh, behind Cavani is the most likely. You might see Pogba in midfield with one of Frederick Tomine, but by and large, it, it's going to be that. And yeah, I mean, you might see James again because he was really good last time and he adds something to the team that I think is understated. But I think most likely is is the setup I, I just said. And so which players do you think need to perform well if Manchester United are to beat Leeds on the weekend? Sure. I mean, I think everyone needs to kind of play well. This is a team that's they're a really cohesive unit in Leeds. I mean, it's uh, everyone really plays together and there's always that level of kind of collectiveness and everyone always knows where each other are and there's that level of just complete discipline but also free-flowing, excellent, creative football. So uh, probably the most important will be getting United out of Leeds press. Uh, Luke Shaw has been... A huge revelation for that this season in that he can pass and carry progressively through multiple men and hit long or short range passes to get United out of difficult situations. And then going forward, I think your kind of weakness might be at left back in, uh, in Alioski. So I would, I would pick Marcus Rashford if he's playing at right wing to hopefully get him behind and uh, maybe get some crosses into the box if Pogba and Cavani are both playing. And which Leeds players in particular worry you? I, mean, I ask this and most people say we're worried about them as a, as a unit rather than individuals. And you've sort of, sort of already t- hat tipped towards that. So is, are there any individuals who you would, you would maybe single out? Yeah, well, lucky for you. I really think so many individuals on Leeds side are really good this year. I just said on Leeds, which is uh, extremely American of me, but... Um, <laughs> Bamford and Rafinha are the obvious ones. I think Bamford's been one of the best strikers in the Premier League this season. His off-ball movement is is reminiscent of Cavani, really. He's There's that famous goal where he got ruled offside by VAR for pointing where he wanted the ball, um, which is a really just, I think, a really good testament to what kind of player he is. Constantly looking to get him behind, can also receive the ball to feet, extreme physical threat, works really hard, uh, really good at pressing. That, that's such a difficult forward to play against. Um, those who follow me on Twitter will know that Rafinha is like my dream footballer. He's absolutely incredible. Lightning winger and has all the traits of kind of a traditional winger in terms of receiving the ball and dribbling at players, but that's not even the best area of his game. He has this incredible striking of the ball. He takes your set pieces, um, amazing passing range. Can I know there was that, that famous clip from his debut where he just kind of turned and hit a ball completely around the entire Villa defense. Um, unbelievable player. And I think he'll be so difficult. He's, he's also extremely good at striking the ball in front of goal. So Rafinha's, uh, Rafinha's incredible in my opinion. But I'll pick, some, I'll pick some players that are less common that kind of you'd probably hear from everybody. Uh, I think Pascal Strauch has made a huge difference for you guys this season. Uh, he's been a revelation at center back. And all those kind of aerial and set piece issues they're still there when he plays, but he really alleviates a lot of it by being able to win a sizable amount of aerial duels at once. So if Strauch plays, I think he, he could be a good preventative measure for players like Cavani, Pogba, McTominay, Maguire, trying to get on the end of headers. Um, 
And then I also really like your fullback pairing from the start of the season who have become so much more than just fullbacks, uh, Ailing and Dallas. I'll talk about Dallas because I think his role in central midfield has been amazing to watch. Um, against City, he was honestly just, I thought he was so good. He adds this kind of, I think maybe one of the problems you guys had against United last time was uh, the fact that in front of Phillips, there's just kind of all attackers. There's no really defensive presence. And Dallas completely alleviates that. He adds this level of mobility and He's also quite comfortable on the ball, so he's still he's not a weak passer or a weak carrier of the ball, but he adds this level of mobility and, and work rate that basically translates into really good defensive output, but also good play going forward. And um, and he scored quite a few goals. I know he scored both goals in that City game. Uh, I think he's a huge factor in in the reason why you guys have gotten results against you know City, Chelsea, and Liverpool recently. And um, if he was if he was younger, I would say wow, like he's He's going to have an amazing future in the Premier League because I, I believe it's one of his first seasons, if not his first. So I don't ever ask our guests to give a prediction. Um, feel free to give one if you do want to, but I'm more interested in how you think the game's going to pan out. So how do you see the, the game unfolding on Sunday? Sure. I mean, I think the team that scores first is going to be the one that's happier with how the game proceeds from there. If it's United, like I said, you can see a kind of similar uh, play out to the last time where Leeds are forced to kind of come at them more and, and search for a goal, which is where United love to be. Um, if Leeds score first, then United, I mean, they've gone behind a lot of times this season and still managed to equalize somehow, but I don't think breaking a, a low block is something that United love to do. Um, when, when Burnley scored kind of a minute in, um, I, if you, I don't know if you saw that last week, the offside goal, but it was, it was 30 seconds into the game before the scoreboard even came up. And I was extremely worried about how United were going to break them down after that. Luckily it was ruled out for offside. Um. But, but in general, yeah, I think I think whoever scores first is going to have the game the way they want it, which is quite often the case. And if no one scores first, then you're going to see a really good 50-50 match un- until someone does. Well, Aaron, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. How can our listeners find out what you're putting out in in terms of football? I, I mostly watch football for fun. So you can find me on Twitter, Amonese Football. Uh, I mostly try to create content that looks at the collision between statistics and football um, because I'm a math major in real life and I work in data analytics Um, and I mostly write about United so if you're a United fan or if you're not a United fan and you're looking for people to have opinions about United I'm probably a good follow. Well thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate you having me on it's been it's been great and I really like your content like I've been a follower for quite a long time actually. Thanks very much. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, 
So that was Aaron Moniz, a Manchester United fan. Uh, I'll jump in with you first, Tom Alderson. What sort of ideas were percolating around in your head when you were listening to Aaron speak? Yeah, so Aaron mentioned uh, something that I'm sure anyone that watches Manchester United will know, that they're reliant on the opposition giving um, giving them opportunities and they're also very reliant on individuals creating chances. So I was thinking with that in mind, um, and it's something that we've talked about a lot in recent weeks, do we think Bielsa will go more pragmatic in this game? Like maybe even a bit nearer to the sort of how we saw against City or do you think he'll almost stick to his guns a bit and sort of try and play the way we want and probably get beaten doing it if that's the case? Mm, yeah, interesting question. The, I guess my response to this would be that in the Liverpool game, I think we played pragmatically in the first half and were pretty poor. And I think in the second half, we came out and were a little bit more aggressive in our pressing. So in the first half against Liverpool, Phillips ended up doing a lot of marking work on Firmino. And so he just sort of ended up sitting quite deep. It meant that they had quite a bit of space in midfield um, and they played through us quite a bit. In the second half, he just pushed up on Thiago. And so with Thiago dropping deep because he likes to find space, you know, towards towards the back line in between the fullbacks or in between the fullback and the uh, sorry in between the center backs or in between the fullback and the center back you you ended up seeing Phillips just getting pulled really really far forward uh, and I think we we just looked a lot better for it and Liverpool's press obviously dropped off as well so I I personally kind of think that we might try and go back to it'll be it'll be interesting maybe maybe we'll see a similar thing maybe we'll be a little bit more pragmatic in the first half and then change in the second um what I would say I suppose is that structurally Manchester United are going to play a 4-2-3-1 which means it will suit Phillips sitting in that centre midfield role a little bit more and just tracking Bruno Fernandes anyway so um, maybe it'll be a slightly different game in that respect anyway just from a structural point of view and it might allow us to do our our pressing a little bit more normally I, I suppose then the question becomes whether or not Dallas is then just going to push up onto uh, I guess it will be one of I don't know McTominay or Fred or Matic or whoever is going to play in that double pivot Um and and so that will slightly change things up, but I, I yeah I'm I'm also interested to see what happens here. I think I'm I'm on record as saying that I prefer it when we are more aggressive in our pressing. Um, I put out the the xG rolling plots yesterday, um, and you can see there that you know when Leeds did get more pragmatic, we did reduce the quality of chances that were the volume and quality of chances that we were conceding, uh, but we've also dropped off creating the sort of volume and quality of chances that we were creating so it's it's one of those weird things where you kind of think well like what what do you actually gain from it if you were at least at the beginning of the season we were slightly overperforming um xg per xga now we're sort of the other end of the spectrum where we're we're sort of riding on the seat of our pants a little bit i know it's it's very close all the way so it, it probably doesn't really make too much of a difference but i suppose I'd put the question back to you. Like, what what do we benefit? Do you do we think by being pragmatic? Is it simply just saving face? Is it simply that we were getting a lot of criticism in the media for being so open? Um, because the, the the irony of this season is that we got to safety by playing really flamboyant football. As soon as we pretty much got to safety, we just started playing pragmatically. And uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what benefit you get from that. I'll go on the basis of like just this game first that. Like we were killed immediately in the first game by conceding two goals straight away. So if you don't do that, you're in the game straight away, um, which will always give you more of a chance in these tougher games. I think it's it's hard. I think long term, I would say that I don't like it. I, mean, I agree with you on that one. I think we're better whilst whilst we're going for it. Um, I just think it it for me it probably is just the, the game state thing that if you can stay in the game, you're always going to have a chance. Whereas 
there's a, with the way we play that yes we could always just like win a game four two or something like that but we could also be t- like two nil down straight away and that that means like we we will have to come back um come back from that deficit and it's just always going to make your life harder joe i'll bring you in on this what's your take on all of this yeah i think i was gonna just mention what tom's just said in terms of the last game is that we really went out to attack it from the first minute and it was pretty much straight from kickoff wasn't it um that Click got caught out basically. Rafinha gave the ball away, I think it was, and Click was far too high up the pitch, probably because, you know, the classic before the game, before the Manchester Derby, you say, right, let's let's hit this, let's go as hard as we can and let's attack them from the off. And I think maybe that excitement was sort of buzzing through the players' veins. Um and they just got caught up the pitch and it happened twice in a few minutes. So it it does it does worry me um, because obviously you want the players to be up for the game and you want them to attack it from the first minute. But um, if we get punished like we did uh, in the last game and we're two nil down after three minutes, then we're 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 not looking good. And like um, Aaron said, game state was such a huge factor last time um, that maybe it, it does mean that we have to take ten fifteen minutes just to you know, be a bit more pragmatic and be a bit defensive just to allow the game to be nil-nil um, up until that point. Um, so it is really interesting. I remember that quote from Bielsa. Um, I might be sort of bodging this a little bit, but um, I think it was that if you asked him on any given day of the year if he'd rather win the title or um, the local derby, then he'd choose the title. But if you ask him the day of the derby or the day before, then he'd rather win the derby. Um, so I think... I'll, it'll be interesting to see what Bielsa reckons because, um, yeah, that obviously points towards attacking it 100%. Yeah, and um, I think I think Tom's probably right on this. I think that he will probably want to start off a bit more pragmatic and then and then maybe maybe go for it uh, later on. But as Aaron said, Manchester United really struggle to break teams down, so I think going a little bit more pragmatic pragmatically can't be the worst thing. Um, I suppose the only other thing caveat I would add here is that when we talk about Leeds being uh, pragmatic, we mean that they go a little bit less aggressive pressing in the central midfield and they leave a bit more space. And I think Manchester United will probably benefit from that. So it's not simply a case of, you know, pragmatic meaning backs to the wall defending. It just means being slightly less aggressive in the press. And so um, I think there is a line between, you know, playing a low block, which Manchester United will struggle to deal with, and also just playing a little bit less aggressively in the central midfield, which will actually benefit them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm still up in the air as to how I feel we should go on this one. Um, and I wonder whether or not if we did go a little bit more aggressively in the midfield spaces, then then we might cause them a, a few more problems, especially if we're not playing Rodrigo, which is who we played last time round. And I think he was part of the reason why the, the press got, got broken quite, quite badly. Um, we also, interestingly, took off... Calvin Phillips at half time against Manchester United the first time around, didn't we? Uh, because he was just getting dragged out of position quite a lot um, by by Bruno Fernandes uh, as well. So, uh, and I think Strauch actually came on um, in the second half weirdly in that in that space. So, um, yeah, there will certainly be a lot of tactical to and froing in this game, uh, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, Joe, what about you? What sort of uh, what sort of questions were welling up in your head when you were listening to Aaron? Well, I had a couple of questions. Um, the first one is mostly directed at you, John, and also the the fellow all stats aren't we is, which is 
on a scale of completely ecstatic to wetting your pants with excitement, <laughs> how buzzing were you when Aaron singled out Strauch as one to watch? Aaron knows ball, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my heart did leap in my chest when I heard him say that. I know, I was, yeah, it's they, it almost never happens and it just lined up perfectly. So <laughs> that was that was brilliant. But my, my actual question is... Um, whether Man United's structure of four-two-three-one is going to be perfect for Leeds' man-marking system, um, and sort of the way that Dallas is is fitting into that now, because um, we sort of touched on this um, a little bit. But Phillips will obviously be taking Fernandez. Um, the fullbacks will be taking the wingers, um, and then between Dallas and Roberts, let's say, if it is those two, they can match up onto uh, Fred and McTominay or Man United's double pivot. So um, there, are, it doesn't seem to be that there'll be many headaches in terms of the man-marking system because sometimes uh, you have to work it all out and figure out who's going to be on who. But I think this game is going to be quite obvious. Um, and in terms of Dallas's role, um, obviously we got caught out by... A lot of times last time by Man United just driving through the middle. Um, Click got caught out for the first couple of goals, as I mentioned. And there were plenty of times when we saw the centre-backs just dribbling through the pitch. That was sort of the um, the blueprint to, to beat Leeds early on this season that people sort of figured out. And now it seems that Dallas's uh, role is, is stopping that uh, for the most part. So I just wondered if this game would actually really suit us from from that point of view yeah i do think that the 4-2-3-1 does suit us structurally uh, i think we've talked about this on, on a few previous podcasts uh, just because it's it just makes sense right if you're playing a 4-1-4-1 it matches up to a 4-2-3-1 in terms of where your players are and so in a man marking system it just makes it a lot easier and if they get into their you know into into a sort of attacking um uh, phase then you're you should be roughly near where where the players that you're marking are and again we've just talked about the Liverpool game where they actually played a they basically played the same formation as, as us so they had a slightly further forward well sorry slightly further back midfielder and then two flat midfielders in front of them and it means that if you're going to try and play Phillips as a as a central central midfielder in a defensive mold then you he was always sort of being pulled between Thiago and and um and Firmino and it meant that we we sort of lost a bit of control in the middle, and then in the second half, when we we basically played, I, I suppose a four four one one in that sense, uh, it, it meant that we were a lot a lot more aligned to them in terms of their structure. And um, weirdly, it sounds as though you know moving your central midfielder, your central defensive midfielder forward, and leaving a huge space in between the midfield and the defence would be quite a scary thing. But in this sense, it just allows us to to pressure them on the ball a lot more. And 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 then you actually are able to control the game a little bit more. So yeah, I think a similar thing may happen. I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that uh, you know, as, as Aaron mentioned, you know, and and Tom's question was touching on. United are basically a vibes team. They in a they don't have these um, these big attacking you know rotations, interchanges, structures, routes. Um, stuff that they've they've planned. Although I think that we're seeing a little bit more of that. Perhaps I think it helps having someone like Edinson Cavani playing for you because he's just such an intelligent mover, and they've got so many good players on the field that they can make those those 
interchange plays that that look quite nice um i think the the thing is they're just a little bit more by luck than by judgment it just happens if everyone's in the right place they can they have the ability to pull those things off but in general i think when you're playing against a team like leeds where where there is the man marking system it's the best way of playing is just saying to to players and this is basically what frank lampard's done and i think what oligan and solskjaer did in the first in the first fixture is just say Try and dribble past your man. If you can dribble past your man, then you'll pull up their structure apart, and spaces will appear that you can then exploit. And so, it, yeah, it's it's just a question of how well they can pull us apart in that respect. Um, Tom Alderson, have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I do agree with um, both of you that like we do set up well um, when we play against a four-two-three-one. My my sort of thoughts on this are more on the individuals within our system against theirs. So. Like it works quite well in the. You'd think it'd work quite well in the midfield this time compared to last time, when um. Cause like if you think Roberts setting up on Fred and then Dallas can have a, if he has to mark man he'll go um to McTominay and that probably, sort of because obviously McTominay was one of the players that caused us a lot of problems last time and if he's, um I think that should Dallas playing as his man marker should help that I think one player that um who's obviously very important for United who's been good this year is Luke Shaw. Um, he progresses the ball out the back really well. So I'd be, if, because Costa was pretty bad, I think Harrison was pretty bad as well on um, against Liverpool about tracking back and um, following their, their full-back. And I think if we do that, we're sure it could, He he's what, may, maybe even the main way of United playing out from the back. Um, so if we let him just, do that as we did on Monday night. That could cause us a lot of problems. I don't. I don't know if the solution to that is to just say, whoever's playing. Well, either just leave whoever's not going to play there. If that's Costa or Rafinha to deal with that, or actually bring Harrison across because it's it's probably so important for them that um, it might be worth doing. And then the the other one that again we've touched on is is Phillips against Bruno Fernandez. Um, and I'd be interested to see whether he's learned. I'd, I'd learned from the first game that like not to leave those spaces. Um, with when Bruno pulls wide, but um, I don't. I, I was trying to think of an example where uh, with they've played with a played of someone that's like played a proper ten, and Phillips has played against someone. I can't remember if it's like gone badly or not, or because it did in the early in the season. And I feel like we've learned from it, but I can't think of any examples when that's happened. Yeah, I think with the Phillips thing, a lot of it comes down to when your midfield are, I guess Rodrigo and I can't remember who else played in midfield ahead of ahead of Phillips. But I think it'd be Click, wouldn't it? I think the click yeah, it must have been after. Click, yeah. yeah. So they played Rodrigo and Click, and, and then you've got Phillips behind them. And then if you pull Phillips out of the way, you just have to break that press of, of Click and Rodrigo. And, you know, we're, we're, our opinions on, on Rodrigo and when it comes to pressing are well known. And uh, I think in that game, like, United were just walking through the middle and there's just no resistance until you get to the back line and you just cannot play like that um just causes you way too many problems so uh, i think with phillips it'll be as much about whether or not the the midfielders in front of him can can prevent that sort of thing happening i guess you know the the dallas role as we've said is much more zonal so that's that's the idea there is that if you're going to have a player who's going to be zonal and lose their man it's going to be dallas rather than rather than phillips um in the other, I guess the other person to talk about is Paul Pogba. I don't think Pogba played last time we played them, um, and he's playing in that wide left position where he can sort of drift inside and be quite a creative fulcrum. Um, I, I'm interested in how we we feel about that um, because 
yeah, you know, there's, there's one thing playing Manchester United when, you know, their midfield, well, I guess they had Rashford and, and Dan James on the field. And I suppose this time around, there's the prospect of having, um, of having, and I guess Martial played up front as well. It's, it's a very different prospect facing um, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba on one side, potentially Rashford on the other and Cavani all on the field at the same time. So how are we feeling about that, Joe? Is that how it seems a pretty daunting prospect defensively? Yeah, it does a bit. Um, I mean, I'd be, I'd actually be quite surprised if that was the lineup because I think Solskjaer's tactics last time were to get pace on the pitch, um, which is why Dan James played. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does it again. It just worked for him last time and I think he's the kind of manager that would just give Dan, uh, give James another chance um, in the same game because he played quite well, like Aaron said. Um, if Pogba is playing in that left-hand side role, then it's probably one of the more ideal matchups to have him coming up against Luke Ayling um, out of everyone in our team that it could be. I mean, it could be Alioski or <laughs> you know anyone. And I think considering how how well Luke Ayling played in the last game against Liverpool um, and the fact that he'll be captain, I suppose, gives him just that bit of edge and maybe allows him to concentrate a bit more and he feels like he needs to have a better game, um, then I, f- I feel like that's quite a good matchup for us and that's probably the best player that we can ask for to be on Pogba. Um, but, I, but I agree that the between the attackers uh, for Man United if they play Cavani from the start, like we've already mentioned, his his movement in the box um, is just on another level, really. It's just up there with some of the best strikers in the whole world. Um, so it does worry me a bit. Um, depending on who's going to be marking him, I'm assuming it'll probably be Strauch because, um, in my opinion anyway, he's, he's a better man marker than Lorente is and he's better at dealing with 1v1 type situations so um, again that's going to be a, a really interesting matchup for us. Tom what what are your thoughts about the Manchester United attacking line? It was interesting to hear Aaron's predicted lineup because he didn't he, he kind of mentioned well he kind of sort of mentioned Greenwood in passing but he scored like four goals in four games or something like that so I was surprised to hear him not thinking that he was going to start. Um, I think he'll either be what Rashford or Pogba on that left that their left hand side and that would probably be their best player to sort of dribble at our defence. So Ailing's going to have to do a job, whether it is Pogba or Rashford. They're obviously slightly different prospects. One like Pogba's a bit more physical, whereas Rashford's probably going to try and get in behind him a bit more. And I think if it is Pogba on that side, I think if it was either Rashford up front or Rashford on the right-hand side, it's still a worry, but he's not as effective in those roles. If he plays up front, he tends to sort of drift to the left-hand side anyway and maybe Pogba moves in. Um, so that would be again a bit would cause maybe a little bit of problem for the man marking if Rashford did that. Um, I can see, I can see why he'd go for Dan James because uh, he causes problems last time, but I, d- I don't think he causes those same problems this time. Um, so that 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 doesn't really worry me. Yes, and um, nothing nothing really more to add on Cavani. I think uh, that Joe, Joe said already. And I guess the other question we have is whether or not Rafinha is going to be fit for the game. Um, if not. How are we um, organising the, the wide players, Tom? Who who would you have in the side? Well, I guess, I mean, Rafinha's going to be f- starting, right? Um, would you start him? It, well, if Rafinha's fit, he'll be starting. So what what are you thinking about the wide players? There isn't really like a, a fullback to go out defensively, is there, for Man United? And that's normally how we decide which side Rafinha plays on. So um, if, if, if I think it'll be Harrison, 
whichever side he plays, and if that's either just normal Harrison on the left, Rafinha on the right, or if they swap them over just to try and deal with the threat of Shaw, but it depends how highly Bielsa rates that threat of Shaw and that if they can stop it in other ways. Yeah, so do you think it's possible that we might see Harrison on the right just to try and deal with Shaw then? I think so. I think that's I think that's a possibility. There's also, that's the side that Lindelof will be on. Sorry, the, 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 their right side of centre-back will be Lindelof, so it might be the weaker of the two sides if for Rafinha to go at, but Wan-Bissaka's a great 1v1 defender, so maybe you don't want Rafinha on that side at all. Maybe you want Rafinha attacking the space in behind Shaw if Shaw's going forward. Yeah. Um, especially if we're playing a little bit deeper and we're going to try and look and counter-attack quite quickly. And we saw that against um, Manchester City, right, where we were just hitting that channel in behind, uh, the on the on their left-hand side in, in behind the fullback. And I'm sure we'll probably do something like that in the game. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everyone in terms of the structure side of things. So, uh, Joe... Who do you think needs to play well on Sunday if we're to get anything out of the game? I was thinking about this this morning and I, I think I'll nominate Roberts um, to have a good game um, because I think I think he's going to be pretty key uh, in both defensively and in attack. Um, we saw that last time Rodrigo just wasn't really up to it from a pressing point of view. Um, and like we've mentioned, if Calvin's getting dragged out of position, then we're really going to need our two midfielders, our two other midfielders, um, to be good defensively. So I'll be looking for Roberts to really track his man and make sure there are no holes, especially if Calvin gets dragged out of position um, or between them um, to show some intelligence in terms of swapping the men over because we, we've been doing that a bit more recently. And it might be that if Fernandez drops really deep into his own half, then Roberts just tracks him or Roberts tracks him in um, in their own half and Phillips tracks him in our own half, that kind of thing. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. Um, but also in, in the attacking sense, um, I just I, I really want Roberts to get a goal or an assist because um, he's been... He's been in and around the team. He's been having good games. He's having bad games. But um, it'd be just nice to see some of those numbers creep up because I think he deserves it. Um, and I think it will give him a boost of confidence to take into the end of the season because we mentioned on the pod the other day about him potentially being dropped after a bad game. I think that was one of the questions. Um, and I think a goal or an assist or... I mean, a, a good game would help. But I think, yeah, getting getting a goal for him would be would be great for his confidence. I'm just going to put in both the centre-backs in there because I'm not really sure how... It depends kind of on who plays up front for United, whether that'll be Cavani or Greenwood or Rashford because all three of those players worry me in different ways. So it'll just be how they deal with that striker. And like with Cavani, you've obviously got the movement that we've talked about and that'll probably be something that Stroud could deal with. But then if Rashford's going out wide, then... Maybe someone's going to have to follow follow him there as well. You'd think, um, so it's it's going to be pretty difficult, and they're going to have to sort of keep on the toes really to make sure that um, we deal with those problems. And um, how do you think the game's going to pan out, Tom? I think we will be a bit more sort of pragmatic compared to the first game because we just we just don't want to go down a goal or two early again. So I think we'll just I think it could be very similar to the Liverpool game actually. That we'll just they'll probably be attacking a lot more in the first half. And um, they'll they'll probably have some okay chances, and then I think we'll probably try and come out and play in the second half. And it'll be interesting to see if we have the success we had against Liverpool, or us opening up actually opens it up for 
for Man United, and it makes it makes their life a lot easier. And then we might come away with some like I think it'll be decided late, but I don't know which way is the game. Is what I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree with Tom. I think Leeds are going to be slightly more pragmatic from the off just to avoid what happened last time. Um, and Man United tend to be much better in the second half of games. Um, that's just the way that it's panned out this season. Um, if I was being really positive, um, there's I think it's probably a good-ish time to play Man United um, because, as Aaron mentioned, they're pretty much guaranteed second in the Premier League. Um, they have got a big semi-final coming up on Thursday, and this whole thing with Ed Woodward, um, it popped up on The Athletic as we were rec- recording this, that um, there's been protests outside their training ground and training's been delayed this morning. Um, so I just wanted to throw those in there as potential um, reasons to be optimistic. Um, but I do agree with Tom that it's it's probably going to come down to the second half um if if Leeds can hold on till then and I, and I think they will um and I think Man United will look to the second half if if it's still nil nil to really attack the game as they did against Burnley in the second half so <clears throat> yeah it's going to be really interesting either way well, there you have it. That's the All Stats on We Manchester United preview. If you like what we do and want to get more of it, we do have the Patreon channel, so do check that out. That's www.patreon.com forward slash All Stats on We. We'll be back on Monday, I think, with a review of the game. Um, but with that, all that there is for me to do is to say thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. And thank you, Joe. Cheers. And enjoy the game. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.